You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Chris Church filling in for me last week. Um, We kind of switched. You wouldn't have wanted to listen to me last week. Uh, There was a lot of coughing going on, so hopefully it's going to be better today. We'll see as we go go along. Turn with me, if you would, this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. A very familiar story, familiar passage of Scripture as we're continuing this series we're calling Jesus is the Answer. Read along with me as I read the first 17 verses of this third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and, do not, you, and yet you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. But still you people will not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one who has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Maybe you've heard the story about the man who passed a pet store one day and he saw the most magnificent bird he'd ever seen. It sat regally on its perch, it had beautiful feathers of shimmering cobalt blue and wings were a brilliant yellow and its throat was ruby red, its beak was a gleaming ebony. And he just couldn't resist. So he went in and and there above the cage was a sign that said, This bird guaranteed to sing. There was also a price tag. Turned out it was $1,000 for the bird and the cage. But he he gasped, but when he recovered from the sticker shock, he decided, I I just got to have this bird. And so he bought it and took it home. But nothing happened. The bird didn't sing. So he went back to the pet store the next morning to find out what could be wrong. And the clerk said, oh, well, it must be the ladder. If you buy him this ladder for another uh, 25 bucks, the bird will climb the ladder. When he gets to the top, he'll sing. So he bought the ladder and and took it home. Again, nothing happened. 
the bird climbed the ladder, but just sat there in silence. So the next day he goes back. The clerk said, I'm sorry, but I forgot the bell. If you get this bell, he'll climb the ladder, ring the bell, and then he'll sing. Again, nothing happened. So uh, another $25 for the bell. Uh, still no song. So the next morning he goes back and the cl- clerk says, you know, I think if he just had a mirror, if he could see himself in the mirror, then he would probably sing. So he forked out another $30 for the mirror. And as you figure, again, the, you know, the bird climbed the ladder, rang the bell, looked at himself in the mirror, but still didn't sing. Finally, he goes back and he pounds on the counter and he says, look, I've spent $1,075 for a bird that won't sing. The clerk said, I, I promise you, if you'll just buy him this swing for 35 more dollars, I guarantee the bird will sing. If he doesn't, you can bring it back and I'll give you a full refund. The guy took the swing home and put it in the cage. The bird climbed the ladder. He rang the bell. He looked at himself in the mirror. He swang a couple times on the swing and then fell over dead. The guy was so furious. He goes back to the store and he he, he yells hysterically. He says, I bought a bird for $1,000, a ladder for $20, a bell for 25, a mirror for 30, a swing for 35. Not only does this bird not sing, he's dead. The clerk responded, said, oh, I forgot to tell you, bird seed. <laughs> he had everything he needed except the one thing he really needed most, bird seed. Maybe that describes a lot of people this morning. Maybe you've got everything you need except the one thing you really need. Maybe you've climbed the ladder of success in your job or your career or even at church. And maybe you've rung the bell and got lots of attention. Or you've looked in the mirror and admired how handsome you were or how, what good health you had. Or maybe you've traveled to exotic places and sought after pleasure and swung on all the great swings of life. Maybe you've got it all. But on the inside, you're still empty and hungry for something that will satisfy. You've got everything, but maybe the one thing that you really need. And in the story we're looking at this morning, we find a man who I think is just like that. Nicodemus is a man who has seemingly everything. He has power, he has prestige, he has political and religious clout. Not only that, he's, he's a good man. As one of maybe one of the best men in the Bible. He's a, he's a Pharisee. He keeps the law. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He's part of the ruling 70 of the Jewish faith. If Nicodemus were around today, I guarantee you we'd make him a connection group leader or a, 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 a deacon or, or maybe even a bishop or an elder. He was that kind of a guy. Pastor writer John Maxwell shares a story about visiting a friend in the hospital one day and discovering that the man in the next bed was a Lutheran deacon. And John Maxwell said, oh, he said, there's a story in the Bible about a Lutheran deacon who came to see Jesus late one night. Uh, His name was Nicodemus. The Bible says that he's a Pharisee, which is Greek for Lutheran deacon. And uh, John went on then to witness to uh, the man. Now, you may say, Pastor, that's twisting Scripture a a little bit, isn't it? Well, maybe, but the point is, Nicodemus could have been a Lutheran deacon, or a Baptist deacon, or a Methodist lay leader. He's a keeper of the law. 
He knew the Scripture. The Pharisees memorized, I can't imagine this, but they memorized the first five books of the Bible. They, they knew it by heart. He was a good man. We would have been hard-pressed to find anything to criticize in the life of Nicodemus. And yet, as I study this passage, it seems Nicodemus is spiritually hungry. Something is missing in his life. There's a void. There's a vacancy. There's an emptiness. And so he comes to Jesus at night hoping to find answers. How many of you have been watching The Chosen? Have you seen any of that uh, TV show? If you haven't, it's a good show. I I recommend it. Uh, Nicodemus is one of the main characters in the especially in the first season. And I think it does a great job of portraying the struggle that Nicodemus faces. He knows there's something missing in his life. He realizes that there's something powerful, unexplainable about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And yet he can't quite bring himself to that point of giving up his comfortable lifestyle and his position and his power in order to follow Jesus. Maybe that's where some of us find ourselves this morning. There's a deep-seated hunger inside, and in our most honest moments, we think to ourselves, I know I ought to be better, I know I ought to do something more with my life than this. Why am I so empty? Why is life so meaningless? J. Oswald Smith shares a story of a woman who came to one of his prayer meetings one time, and She was quite distraught, and she went to the altar for prayer, and she just cried out. She says, pray for me, pray for me, she says, a church member. And then the rest was lost in sobs, and and, and her whole body shook. They began to pray with her and share scripture with her, and in a few moments, the Lord saved her and gave her peace. You see, being a church member hadn't satisfied the longing of her heart. The same was true of Nicodemus. All of his good works, all of his acts of charity, all of his religious activity hadn't taken care of that emptiness in his soul. And so he comes to Jesus. And we don't know what he expected to find, but Jesus immediately senses the problem and he goes right to the heart of the matter. He says in verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He doesn't say, Nicodemus, if you want to make it to heaven, you're going to have to start going to temple more. You're going to have to start giving more money to charity or you're going to have to give to the poor or treat your wife better. No, he says you must be born again. He repeats it again, even in verse 7. Now this word born again gets thrown around a lot in our society today, it's almost used as a derogatory term. You know, sometimes people will refer to people, oh, he's one of them born-again Christians, you know, uh, like we're a terrorist or something. Uh, And yet, I'm convinced most people don't really understand what that term means. It doesn't make any sense to them. Nicodemus here... A teacher of the law can't grasp it. He says, how can I, an old man, five foot eight, maybe 250, I figure he probably ate pretty good being a Pharisee, uh, how could I re-enter into my mother's womb and be born again? But Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, we're not talking about physical birth, but spiritual birth. We're talking about making you a new creature, changing you from the inside out. And that's what I want us to talk about for a few 
minutes this morning, I want to talk about this simple concept of what does it mean to be born again. But before I do that, first of all, I want to show you why you need to be born again. The problem is that you and I were born sinners. Selfishness, sinfulness is a basic flaw of your character. Listen to this verse from Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Can anyone dispute this this morning? You don't have to look very far to see that we are infected with this dread disease. It's in our DNA. We are born sinful, selfish. If you don't believe me this morning, just go over to the nursery sec- and the children's section for a little while uh, this morning, uh, and you'll see that it's true. Any parent here knows you didn't have to teach your kids to be selfish. You had to teach them how to share. I think my kids, the first words they learned were mine. You know, this is mine. Uh, uh, in fact, most of us, I don't think, even realize how sinful we are. I believe as, as sinners, apart from God's grace, we are literally capable of just about anything this morning. Just look at David in the Bible. He's a perfect example. He's a man who wrote many of the Psalms. He's described as a man after God's own heart. He has faith enough to take on a giant with a slingshot. And yet under the right circumstances... He commits adultery with Bathsheba and ends up ordering her husband's death in order that he might have her. I remember a man sitting in my office once who'd gotten involved with another woman and ruined his marriage. And he sat there weeping. He said, Pastor, I I don't even know how it all happened. Well, I didn't tell him this, but I know how it happened. We're slaves to sin. As the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, you don't need a change in lifestyle. You need to be born again. You need something to happen on the inside. And being born again is the only cure. Another familiar verse is Romans 6.23 that says the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal death, total separation from God. I know it's not popular to talk about anymore, but my Bible says there's a literal place called hell. Now you can refuse to talk about it or pretend it doesn't exist, but my Bible says that's where we're all headed, and it's no less than we deserve. It says the wages of sin, the payment for sin, is death. But notice the rest of that verse. For the wages of sin is death... But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's only because of Jesus that you and I have any hope of heaven this morning. When you and I stand before God and He were to ask us, why should I let you in? The only acceptable answer is going to be because Jesus died for me. He paid the price for my sinfulness so that I might have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel this morning. Because of what Jesus did at Calvary, because He rose from the dead and defeated sin and death, salvation is available. We can be born again. We can start over. Our sins can be forgiven. It's a gift from God. All we have to do is receive it. And yet, that's the problem. It's so simple this morning that many dismiss it and reject it. 
If God had said, you got to crawl two miles on your knees in order to make it into heaven, most of us would give it a try. Or if God had said, you got to pray three times a day facing Mecca, we'd get out our little prayer mat and we'd face Mecca and we'd pray three times a day. Or if we had to spend two years riding a bicycle and passing out literature, we'd jump on that. Nicodemus, for instance, was doing all the right things. But Jesus says, no, that's not enough, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Which brings me to the second part of the message this morning. For a few minutes, I want to talk to you about how to be born again. And I want to give you four very simple steps. Number Step number one is repent. Look with me for a moment at Acts 17.30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. The Apostle Paul in this passage in Acts is preaching to the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens. And he tells them, at one time, you used to worship gods of stone and wood, but God overlooked that in your ignorance. But now, he says, light has been revealed. God has sent His Son, Jesus, to show us the way. Now that you've heard about Him, it requires action. You see, once the Lord reveals to us that we are sinners living in rebellion against God, we need to do something about it. And what we need to do about it is repent. Repentance means turning away from your sin and going in the other direction. It means more than just being sorry or feeling remorse. A lot of people are sorry for their actions. They're sorry for the damage their sin might have caused. They're sorry they got caught. But true repentance means being sorry enough to quit, to change. At our house, Rosemary and I have an ongoing dispute about the toilet seat. <laughs> she likes to keep it down with the lid closed and I tend to forget and leave it up. And I understand now that uh, they have come out with an automatic toilet seat closer. You can walk away and automatically the seat will come down. I might have to look into one of those. <laughs> anyway, sometimes when I leave it up, Rosemary reminds me, she says, you know, you left the toilet seat up again. And I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, and go close it or, or whatever. Not long ago that happened, and I said, I'm sorry, and she responded, no, you're not. If you were really sorry, you'd put the lid down. You know what? She's got a point. If I were really sorry, if I saw this as a real high priority in my life, then maybe I'd put a little sign on the back of the toilet that says, Close Toilet Lid. Or I'd go in there maybe uh, every day and practice five or six times, you know, just <laughs> try to get the muscle memory going on, on that thing, you know, so I could get that done. Or maybe I'd invest in one of those automatic toilet closers. Uh, that, that would probably be a good thing. Now, by the way, I really am genuinely trying to, to do better. But the point I'm trying to make is this. It doesn't do me any good to keep coming to the Lord and telling Him how sorry I am for my sin if I'm not willing to change. If I intend to keep on sinning, then I haven't really repeated. I don't know about you this morning, but when I came to Jesus, I knew immediately there were some things in my life that had to change. There were some places I could no longer go. There was some language that had to change. There were some activities that I could no longer engage in. There were some positive things that I needed to start doing, like reading my Bible and going to church 
more. Nobody had to tell me that. The Holy Spirit made it clear. I knew I couldn't have it both ways. And when I came to Jesus in a spirit of repentance, I came asking for His help in order to change. And unless you are willing to turn around this morning and go in a different direction following Christ, you cannot be born again. The first step is repentance. The second requirement for being born again is that you must believe. Turn with me to John 3.36 where it says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. I have a few copies of a gospel track that has Charlie Brown on the uh, cover. Maybe you can see that, maybe you can't. But uh, uh, Charlie's dragging his baseball bat behind him as he walks along and he's mumbling to himself, good grief, 184 to nothing. I don't understand it. How can we lose when we're so sincere? Sincerity doesn't win ball games. And being sincere won't get you into heaven. A lot of people seem to think today that what you believe is not really important as long as you believe something. Uh, You know, you can believe whatever you want as long as you're committed to it. Chuck Colson in one of his books shares about a conversation he had with a young couple who joined the Mormon church and they, these were people who had grown up in an evangelical church and, and, and in the course of the conversation Chuck asked him, he said, doesn't it bother you that the church you've joined is basically a cult and they don't really believe what we believe about Jesus and how to be saved? And their answer shocked him. They said, well, we know the Mormons have some strange beliefs, but we really like the people, they said. You see the fallacy of that kind of thinking? Again, that's the prevailing notion in our pluralistic society today. You can believe whatever you want to believe. Your convictions are your convictions. Nobody has any right to tell you that they're wrong. Anyone who says differently is a bigot or a racist or a communist or something. Well, that's all well and good, but that's not what the Bible says. Look again at John 3.36. This is pretty specific. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. According to that verse, you can't worship Buddha and make it to heaven. And serving Allah, even if you strap explosives to your body and blow up infidel Americans, is not going to get you into heaven. You can sit cross-legged for hours and burn incense and hug trees and worship Mother Earth, but she isn't going to save you. In order to be born again, you must put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ. You must believe that He is the Son of God, the author of salvation. Not only must you repent and believe, but thirdly this morning, you must confess your need of a Savior. Look at 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Read that again and put your own name in there. If Barry Lawson will confess his sins, Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive his sins and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. And you say, Pastor, what does it mean to confess? Does that mean you need to come and see the pastor and tell him all the bad things you've ever done in your life? I sure hope not, because this pastor doesn't want to know. Uh, 
I don't think Pastor Josh does either. So, uh, you know, you keep that to yourself. Does it mean that I have to remember every transgression that I've ever committed? If I miss one, I won't make it? No. It simply means coming to that place where we admit that we've got a need and we've got a sin problem that we can't handle in our own strength. You see, I think one of the biggest hindrances, one of the biggest roadblocks that keep people to coming, from coming to Christ is pride. We're simply unwilling to admit, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your help. I need your forgiveness. We're so independent-minded that we think we can solve all of our problems and clean up all the mess and change all of our bad habits. What do we really need God for? Jesus tells an interesting story about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One man, a Pharisee, like Nicodemus, said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. But the other man, the tax collector, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus then says, I tell you the truth. That man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Are you willing to admit this morning that you can't solve your sin problem yourself? Are you willing to confess your need of a Savior? It's absolutely essential if you want to be born again. But there's one final step in this process of being born again. We must receive salvation. Look with me at John 1.12. John says, Yet to all who did receive Him, Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now we need to understand something this morning. There's a huge difference between believing something and receiving it. The Scripture says that even the demons believe and tremble. They know who Jesus is. I I run into a lot of people who say they believe in Jesus. They believe He's the Son of God. They believe He died on a cross, maybe even rose from the dead. They could quote you part of the Apostles' Creed, but they're not born again because they've never received Jesus as their personal Savior. Let me try to demonstrate this visually this morning. If I can find a dollar here in my wallet, I'm going to give this dollar to someone this morning. In fact, I think I'm going to come right down here and I'm going to give it to Harper. (laughs) Harper's on my cross-country team. We run together a couple days a week and uh, usually I can't keep up with her. But uh, Harper, I'm going to give you this dollar. Do you believe me? I'm an honest person, right? Yeah, I'm your coach. You you believe me. Uh, I'm going to give you this dollar, but do you have the dollar yet? When did it become your dollar? When you reached out and took it. When you reached out and took it, it became your dollar. That's kind of the way it is with salvation. It's not yours until you receive it. How many of you have ever seen the famous painting by Holman Hunt? of Christ standing at the little garden door. I think I've got a slide of this somewhere. Yeah, you probably got one of these hanging in your house somewhere. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but this famous painting of Jesus standing at the door, uh, 
is based on Revelation 3.20. It says in that verse, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. If you'll look closely at that uh, painting, uh, it kind of looks like it there, but it's not really. Uh, There is no doorknob on Christ's side. The door can only be opened from the inside, and Holman Hunt painted it that way for a reason. Christ will never knock down the door uh, and force His way in. For us to be born again, we must unlatch the door from the inside. We must receive Him into our heart, and when we do, He'll come in and He'll begin to make a radical difference in our life. Repent, believe, confess, receive. It really is that simple. Let me close with this. Maybe there's someone here this morning who says, Pastor, I've tried being a Christian, but I just can't do it. You know, I've I've tried leaving behind my sin. I've tried to live differently, but I keep messing up. Maybe this story will help you. One night there was a young woman who wanted to be saved, but she just couldn't seem to find her way. She had been to the altar and prayed on numerous occasions. She had resolved to be a kinder, better person. She tried to change her life. She would make the Lord promises, but then fail to keep them. And finally, she began to despair. She began to think, well, maybe, you know, I just can't be saved. Maybe there's no hope for a person like me. But one night, she wandered into a little chapel where they were having a service. And she sat in the back, and she thought she could slip out maybe if she wanted to but as the preacher spoke the Holy Spirit began to tug on her heart and suddenly about halfway through the message the minister stopped in the middle of his sermon he looked directly at her and he said miss he said you in the back he says you can be saved right now you don't have to do anything else first you don't have to straighten out all your problems all you need do is come and she did come And God met Charlotte Elliott there, and she went home a changed person. Shortly after, she wrote down these familiar words this morning. Just as I am, without one plea, that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Being born again this morning is simply coming to Jesus, opening the door of your heart and asking Him to come in and change you from the inside out. Would you like to receive Him this morning? Would you like to be born again? Then I invite you to simply come. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a couple of verses of Charlotte Elliott's great old hymn. And I believe God may be speaking to some of us this morning. If he is, would you be obedient to him? Pastor Josh is going to be here. I'm going to be here. Would you like to come and give your heart to Jesus this morning? You come.